Well, good morning. Uh, as you see, Pastor Eric's not here. He had to take care of some uh, uh, immediate family business with taking care of his parents. And so I'm one of the guys that's, you know, break glass, pull fire alarm. Um, so don't hold that against me. Uh, but just to get you thinking, love is a funny thing, isn't it? You know, just this week, uh, my wife got me a silicone wedding ring because I go to the gym a lot and I don't want to lose fingers or bend rings or scratch them up. And, and this doesn't uh, mean, oh, this is love in this ring, does it? But it represents that to everybody, right? Now, if we start to look around and we start to look at what people define as love within the world, things start to get a little bit sketchy. And I found this interesting article, and I think she hits the nail on the head, and it's from Genesis Meyer's opinion in her article. This is how society defines love on the Thought Catalog website. Our society does not know what love is. Society tells us love is 2 a.m. text messages telling someone how lonely you are. Society thinks love is one-night stands and pointless hookups. Society defines love as something that selfishness satisfies your own desires. Relationships these days are centered around physical connections rather than emotional ones. Society thinks that love is disposable. Love has become text messages and phone calls. Love has become Instagram posts, Snapchats, and staring at a screen. Pretty bleak definition of love, isn't it? And I'm sure you're thinking about what love is in your own mind right now, and there might be some synonyms and antonyms running through it, like guilted, scorned, burnt, valued, esteemed, prized, or served. And these are words that we associate with love, aren't they? But I, when I started to look at this, I recognized there's one problem with all of this stuff that I was looking at, and it's me. Please do not ask my wife after the service, but I am, I am a broken person trying to define something that is supposed to be great. And so we should look to God to see what love is, and, and everybody should remember 1 John 4, 8, at least three words. God is, this is participative. For those of you that are kinesthetic learners, you get to speak out in church. God is, that's right. I'm not going to teach the whole book of 1 John, praise the Lord. But uh, you'll remember, some of us will remember, J. Vernon McGee, great Bible teacher and pastor, the Bible bus driver. He broke down 1 John in three ways. God is light, God is love, and God is life. And before we start in 1 John 3, let's pray. Father, we... Uh, Give this time before you, asking that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to the hearts of all that are here as we go through the word that you've given us, uh, even for such a time as this, this morning. If there's anything that we need to unburden ourselves with, may we do it in the quietness of our heart so that we might be receptive. Just pray that there would be no distractions. And ultimately is that the power of your word would change our lives. Just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The one thing I want you to grasp is the Father's love this morning. 
The first three verses of 1 John 3. Now, I'm not a crying guy, but every time I read this first sentence, it gets me. And for those of us who have a, you know, we didn't have like a checkered past. We like owned the stock on the gaming, gaming industry for that, didn't we? But listen, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. If you're new here, we go through the Bible and we teach it verse by verse, line upon line. So if we do verse by verse, that means you have to have two verses at least, right? And I wanted to be an overachiever, so I chose three. I almost didn't make it last night, though. But we're going to go through this. So look at verse 1, and, and we'll start there. Behold. But we're going to stop. Anybody use behold this week? Behold, child, putteth away thy clothes. No? We don't say it. But what it conveys with that word, and I want you to get this, John is saying, stop. Stop what you are doing. And then, then it means to see, to stop and see what's going on. Now, we just don't do that, to stop, to see, but I want you to contemplate on what is being said. Pay attention to what is being said. And beyond that, is, is to meditate on what is being said. It's actually think about it. He's calling immediate attention to do something with what has just been said. Now, what does he say? What manner of love? Love with an inordinate high degree, a high value. Who gave this love? The Father. Conveying authority, relationship, protection, joy. Bestowed. Another one of those words, right? But this word is so rich and so deep. To give with a lasting effect. Immovable, unerasable, permanent, lavished. And who is this gift for? Us. Us. So to think about his love is to really, like, okay, what is, what is his love? Where does this go? What is he meaning with this? And, and I want you to recall John 3, 16, right? Anybody watching football today? Okay. You're like, hurry up and get done. I got to go make some wings when I get home, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You'll remember that verse. But if we look at the comparison with this verse, it's really similar. One is that love is an intense love. John 3.16, he says he's so loved. Here it says what manner of love. It's an intentional love. John 3.16 says he loves the world. Here it says he loves us. It's a valuable love, a costly love. John 3.16, he gave. 
here he bestows, he lavishes that love on us. The result of this love can be relationship. But that love changes from John 3.16 to 1 John 3.1 because how do we know that? The audience is different. John 16 verse 27 tells us about that transition. It says, for the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. That love of God to the world changes to the Father loving us when you believe on Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he has done, his sacrificial death for us. And now God is our Father. And that's the next point, is that his love brings relationship with us. First John 1, 12 and 13, we'll be here a couple times. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To be born of God, meaning that he is our father. You'll remember that Jesus taught this as well, right? Remember the 12 knuckleheads that followed him? I mean, disciples, right? They were great. Lord, teach us how to pray. Remember that? How does he start? Our Father. Paul writes of this in 2 Corinthians 6.18. In quoting this, he says, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And this is, a, this is an awesome thing because how great is a father's love, right? But for some of us, it's difficult. Because all that we remember is drunkenness and beatings. And for some reason within our mind is all those negative effects of our human fathers. We think God is like that. I want you to hear this today. God is not like your father. But I pray that your father tries to demonstrate those same characteristics of God. But it can be a hang-up. And as I was, as I was reading, and I just happened to get this uh, article from, from Patheos blog, and it's called Marketing Jesus. And the author writes a key thing. He writes about learning how to receive God's love. And he, he shares his own story. He says, being the only adopted child in my family, I did not automatically assume that I was loved. One night I decided to put my dad's love to the test. When he called to ask us kids if we were ready to be tucked into bed, I didn't say anything. After a few minutes, he finally came into my room and placed his hand on my back. Believing that I was already fast asleep, my father quietly spoke a prayer over me, kissed me on the cheek, and whispered that he loved me. After he left the room, I could not stop the tears from pouring down my face. 
It was the first time I genuinely believed that my father loved me. In the same way, God wants to remove the doubts that often prevent us from believing we are loved and accepted by our Heavenly Father. Wow. Anybody been to the ocean? No? Okay, this is the movement time again. Ready? One, two, one, two. Right? Do you remember the first time you'd read about it? You might have saw pictures, but you get to that coast and you're looking and all you see is the ocean. Or the first time that you've been on a boat in the ocean, not some lake, but in the ocean, and you could not see anything. The overwhelming vastness of that ocean is awesome, isn't it? It's almost indescribable. Can you think that way about God's love? Charles Spurgeon wrote, If my sins are mountains, his love is a flood that covers the highest. Not only do we have a father, but it also means we have a family. Not, not just the church. Matthew 12, 49 through 50. And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. How often have you thought about that? Jesus is our brother. And this leads to the next point is that his love not only brings relationship, but also brings our adoption, that we should be called children of God. For those theological geeks out there, Baker's Encyclopedia of the Bible. Here's the definition. Theologically, the act of God by which believers become members of God's family with all the privileges and obligations of family membership. It is a legal term describing the right or power granted to a transformed believer to become God's child. It is, I hate this word because I can't say it. Analogous, is that right? I couldn't say it last night. It isn't, anyways. It's like the act of a modern court by which a husband and wife become adoptive parents of, a children, of children who are not their natural offspring. We're adopted into the family of God. You remember 1 John 1.12 that I read. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. The enablement, the ability, the freedom. And thinking about this is that God is the, the parent that's adopting you, but he's the judge that is decreeing that you belong to him. And this has always been the plan. God planned it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Not only did God plan it, but Jesus taught it. You'll remember uh, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not only that, but at his ascension, Mary sees him and he says, don't touch me. That was just a bad joke that happened in my head for those of you from the 80s rap era. Uh, 
But he says this to Mary. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. God planned it. Jesus taught it. And the spirit confirms it. Listen to Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And there's more than one church that had to hear this. So in the church of Galatia, in Galatians 4, 4 through 6, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Believer, do you hear that today? Because you should. He's our father. We're in the family. We're adopted in the family. Jesus is our brother. It goes beyond this. And just to start with this story, I know it's winter, but this is a baseball story. You know, there's, anybody play Little League? Here we get a move again. Ready? Let's do the other hand. Anybody play Little League? All right. So the city has a Little League, and they get the coaches to volunteer, right? And, of course, they're going to have to divvy up the teams, but you have to go register. So these two brothers go down to City Rec to register. They fill out their simple form, right? You know, and they, they hand it to the, the admin person that's taking the forms in. And, you know, they're 12 years old, so they give them the form. And, you know, they're waiting, and the the... Clerk takes them and, and goes over and makes sure they're correct. And since they fill it out together, oh, it's just, they're the same. And, but then he stops and he, he's just like looking back and forth at them, looks at them, and he's puzzled. And he says, is all the information on here correct? And they're like, uh-huh. And he looks at him again. He says, well, wait a minute. He goes, how are you two brothers if you're, you're only six months apart? Because, you know, baseball's by age, so you have to have the birth dates, right? How come you're, all, you're, you're brothers, but you're only six months apart? Well, we wanted to do the same thing, too. And we asked our dad. Well, what did he say? Well, when we asked him, he just stood there, and he's, well, what's the are one of us adopted? Yep. And he kept working. Well, Dad, which one? He, he looks at his boys. He says, I don't remember. <laughs> but this, this is bringing up the next point because with our adoption, it brings something of great significance is that we're heirs. John 8, verse 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Not only are we heirs, we're joint heirs with Jesus. Somebody like getting a headache from all the brain cells exploding right now because I can't even wrap my mind around that. 
And not, not only just in that position of being brothers with Jesus and heirs being adopted into God's family, but you get something, an inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Can you just imagine for a second what that's going to be? I have no clue. We can look at all the things that are given to Jesus, but I really don't think that we can handle that, even right now. But to sit and meditate on that, to understand what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that there's that inheritance. Now, this doesn't come without a cost. If you finish looking at verse 1, Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Our rejection is because of our association, because of our faith in Jesus. In John 15, Jesus speaks about this. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you finish reading through verse 25, I don't think there's any other passage in Scripture that has the word hate more. Five times in those verses. If you throw the word persecute in there, that's seven. But there's this dichotomy that is created, a rejection because of our transfer into the kingdom of light, into God's kingdom. We also change families because you notice the difference. There's a difference between us and the world. Romans 1 talks about this. Talks about this world exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Ephesians 2 elaborates on this division because the world is also classified as children of disobedience, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. In fact, Jesus was a great preacher. He was talking to the Pharisees and he just talked about their family, told them they were children of the devil because of their lies, because of their deceit, because of their dishonesty. This transfer of citizenship is talked about in Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. In whom we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins. Changed power of darkness to the kingdom of the son. And if you think that this isn't real, and some of you might have experienced it, it is. You know, just yesterday, the article came out, and I'm just going to uh, abbreviate the article. Some of you will remember Jack Phillips, the cake baker of Colorado, went all the way to the Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court ruled in his favor. The next day, a phone call was made to his bakery and said, hey, 
Will you please make me a pink and blue transgender cake? And while you're at it, I want one of Satan smoking a uh, smoking marijuana on there as well. And he didn't make either one. So 10 years later, he's back in court. And now Colorado's court, state appeals court, said, no, you're guilty this time. Why? Because of this. Reading this of what God has said and having his view and standing on that. Free, he, uh, this council, ADF senior council, Jack Warner writes, free speech is for everyone. No one should be forced to express a message that violates their core beliefs. Over a decade ago, Colorado officials began targeting Jack, misusing state law to force him to say things he does not believe. Then an activist attorney continued that crusade. This cruelty must stop. It's easy for us to discount this in our censored world, isn't it? Right? Whether you've been in, well, I don't know what it's called, Facebook jail, YouTube confinement, detwittered, right? It happens. But even... That's not a big deal, whatever it might be. But, but do you understand there's going to come a time in your faith that they're going to ask you to deny your Savior, to deny Jesus, to deny what God has said, because you're not of the world anymore. Anybody got one of those bumper stickers? Not of this world? I'm going to get in trouble with Pastor Robert. All right, so I got it through one verse. We're going to speed teach through the other two. Because I don't want you to miss it. Beloved, now are we children of God, verse 2. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. If you notice, now it uses the term beloved, a group of people that are specifically loved, called the children of God, and to summarize, we don't know what's going to be, what it's going to be like, but we know one day that we'll be like Jesus when he comes back. This transformation, because of the Father's love, because of his love, right, is that our transformation is real. People are uh, intrigued by life after death, aren't they? There's been numerous movies Flatliners in the 90s. It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart, what was that, 30s? 30s or 40s, It's a Wonderful Life. That was a Life After Death movie, wasn't it? Some other ones, if somebody writes a book on it, it's going to be a bestseller for sure, isn't it? And why is this? Ecclesiastes says that God has written eternity upon the hearts of all men. But we want to focus right here of what is being said to those that are children of God. And he's talking about Jesus' return in the future. We know from what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the rapture, about Jesus coming back. Right? It says those that are dead will rise. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. And we're supposed to comfort one another with these words. We get to be with Jesus. 
But Paul writes of this transformation in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. See, Paul didn't get it either. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Some of us are saying amen. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Do we hope in Jesus' return? Do we look forward to that? Not at the expense of other people, but the culmination of him coming. The Father's love being fulfilled through the return of Christ. Look at verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now we see everyone. Well, hold on, because it's modified who has this hope. So specifically talking about those who hope for Jesus' return. What happens is that there's a deliberate action purifies himself. Just as he is pure. Jesus being our example. So his love, the Father's love, not only does it bring about relationship with us as that he is our Father, Jesus is our brother, not only are we adopted into God's family, not only might we suffer rejection, but we're transformed and our life is transformed. Even now, for those that you have believed, you remember, you're not the, the same old thing that you are. Because it says what? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. But it also says in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians that our life is to be lived for Jesus. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. These apostles had a common thought because Peter writes this. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So this transformed life, not only is it new, not only is it live for Jesus, but it is to be holy. In the simplicity of these three verses, there's a lot, isn't there? You should see the five pages I cut out this morning. Where is it? Unbeliever, I ask you to, to really think about it. Verses 17 and 18 of, of John 3 is important. 
Because this is the one everybody forgets. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The whole point of Jesus' coming was not to condemn you, but to save you. And this is that point right now. It goes on in verse 18 through 20. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. If you don't believe, can I plead with you, don't be a lover of darkness. Don't practice evil. Don't hate the light. Don't hate God. The things that we've read today has shown how much that he has tried to reach out of how great his love is. Believer, does the love of God guide your life so that you look forward to the return of Jesus? Does it impact you to press on in purity? Will you stand with me, please? Father, we give this time to you and just ask that if there are any here that that don't believe that your Holy Spirit would continue to speak to their heart. If they don't have that confirmation of crying out, Abba, Father, that that would happen today. That the, the overwhelming vastness of your love for them would bring understanding of the cost of Jesus's sacrifice and death for them, that they might become children of God. Lord, for those of us that are believers, may we not take scripture as trivial. May we even challenge our own hearts and minds. You know, I've, I've forgotten how materialistic I've been. I've forgotten how distracted I've been. But may we look forward to the return of your son to be with you one day. And may that change our life even right this second to a life of love and a life of holiness. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.